Good morning, all. There's always that awkward moment where it's like, when do I cut everybody off and just start talking? (sighs) Very special thanks to everybody who uh, saw that desperate look in my eye and let me go to the bathroom. That was awesome. Otherwise, this would have been the shortest Sunday school of all time. (laughs) It's like, here's the scriptures I was going to read. You can read them later. All right, Lord bless you. So, no. (laughs) Um, No, Uh, but let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word to us. Uh, We glorify your righteous name. Uh, We just pray that this morning you would uh, prepare our hearts for these things that you would say to us. God, that we would uh, receive them. God, like the seed in the good ground. And that these things would take root in us and that they would grow up and that your word would... Uh, accomplish what you sent it forth to do. God, you said that it would. God, and we want to be uh, those plots of ground where where these things do in fact happen just like that. So God, this morning what we pray is that uh, uh, that our hearts would be yielded to you and that you would say to us that which you would say and that we would uh, receive it from you. In your name we pray. Amen. amen. Go with me to Numbers chapter 6. So who else is going to be kind of like watching the doors at about 11.30 to see who shows up an hour late because it's daylight savings time? I know I will be. You know, I, I think that I think that America is, is reluctant to get rid of daylight savings time just because people want to time travel. And it's about the closest thing you could get. Every year, it gets harder for me to adjust to it. Not as young as I once was. And so now, especially in the spring, like I set my clock backwards and spend like a month like a zombie trying to get used to it. So anyway, number six. I'll start verse one. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel. Say unto them, When either man or woman shall separate themselves to vow a vow of a Nazarite, separate themselves unto the Lord. He shall separate himself from wine and strong drink, shall drink no vinegar of wine nor vinegar of strong drink, neither shall he drink any liquor of grapes, nor eat moist grapes or dried. And all the day of his separation, days of his separation, I should say, shall he eat nothing that is made of the vine tree and the kernels even to the husk. And all the days of his vow, of his separation, there shall no razor come upon his head until the days be fulfilled in which he separates himself unto the Lord. He shall be holy and shall let the locks of the hair of his head grow. All the days that he separates himself to the Lord, he shall come at no dead body. He shall not make himself unclean for his father or his mother or his brother or his sister when they die because the consecration of his God is upon his head. All the days of his separation, he is holy unto the Lord. So, the word Nazarite literally means one separated. And the interesting thing about this this vow that he's talking about here is this is a voluntary thing. That uh, because he says, if a man or a woman shall separate themselves and vow the vow of the Nazarite, 
So this isn't something that he's requiring of them. Um, but, huh? It means one separated. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, when we... Uh, and actually, the uh, the Youngs uh, says this really interesting. It says, when a man or woman sh- uh, doeth singularly and shall bow the bow of the Nazarite to to be separate unto Jehovah. And so that's that's what happens to us when we when we uh when we meet the Lord and we get born again uh, and we we become separate from the world around us. And uh you know when you've reached that place because suddenly you don't fit anymore. Um you know, I mean uh I didn't fit all that much at school anyway, but I mean, I was certainly of the world, you know, the angry, bitter kid, and had all my weird, worldly things that I had, that I did, and and then I met God, and then all of a sudden, I really didn't fit. You know, everything was different. I mean, and actually, people liked me more after I became a Christian. But um, so that that should tell you something. But um, but. Um, I, 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 you, there was this clear separation there that's like, I'm different now, than, and I don't seem to fit here anymore. So, you know, when God, when we, when we meet God, He, He, He says to us, you know, it's like, come out from among them, be separate, touch not the unclean thing. And so that's what we do. And so, um, He, He confers that on us. Because we we come to him and he makes us separate uh, from the people around us. With that, there is this sense of the voluntary separation as well. Because when when God's Spirit lives inside of you, you become separate from the world around you by virtue of that. But there's this, I guess you could call it a further separation that comes when you separate yourself from uh, from things to to set yourself aside for the Lord to be consecrated to the Lord. Um, so um, go with me to Judges thirteen. And I always remember where it is because I always think that Joshua is mean because Joshua judges Ruth. But um. Either that or he's just doing his job, one or the other. I don't know. And so I'll start in verse 1 again here in Judges 13. And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines forty years. And there was a certain man of Zorah, of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren, and bare not. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, now you are barren, and bearest not, but you shall conceive, and bear a son. Now therefore beware, I pray thee, drink not wine nor strong drink, nor any unclean thing. For lo, thou shalt conceive, and bear a son, and no razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite unto God from the womb. 
and he should begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. And this is interesting because, of course, we're talking about Samson. And, um, you know, this, this Nazarite vow is something that, that in Deuteronomy, or in Numbers, he set it out as being something voluntary that you could choose to do for yourself. Uh, in in this case, however, uh, God has conferred this on Samson before he was even conceived, let alone born. He said, "He's like you know, it's like you're you're going to have a baby, and he's going to be a Nazarite." Um, and and certainly, uh, just from from the very beginning, at the most basic place, he would seem somehow special because she'd been barren all this time, and now and then. This angel comes and tells her she's going to have a baby, and so that would I would suppose make him special anyway. But this thing about this this word, um, uh, the the word that it uses for separate, when he talks about separating himself, it's this. Um, it has this. Um, the it's the same word that they use for a king's crown, or the high priest's uh, crown. And um, and so that that sense of the like letting the hair grow is like this symbol, because the crown is like a symbol of being set apart from everybody else for a specific purpose, which is what consecration is. Um, and so the letting the hair grow long has with it that sense of um, people can see that there's something different about you, and. Uh, and certainly people see something different about us when we meet God. And suddenly your friends aren't your friends anymore. Or, or, and or people uh, are asking you what happened to you. You're different now. And then people start asking you, did you join a cult or something? And <laughs> I see you heard that one too. And um, yeah, so... Uh, so Samson then has he has this conferred on him, and and so uh, he he's not even going to experience this uh, these these things that the Nazarite doesn't partake of even uh, in the womb because she's going to keep separate from those things while while he's in there, and so so he's separated from these things. Uh, really not necessarily by choice. And you can see as you read through his life that he, he didn't really value that sense of consecration and separation. There's something about uh, about somebody just kind of handing you something that doesn't have the same amount of value as if you, you, you paid some kind of price to have it. And uh, so... You know, as you as you read through here, he talks about I'm, uh, God talks about I'm going to make him a Nazarite, and he's going to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. And then the very thing that Samson couldn't leave alone was the Philistines. It was the pretty girls, and um, I would imagine they were probably pretty girls in Israel too. That's what his parents said. Like, well, isn't isn't there somebody you know? Like, you know, what about, I don't know, some of those names are not so cute, like Hogla and stuff like that. But it's like, you know, she's got a great personality. I mean, (laughs) 
like, you know, she can really cook. But um, but no, he's like, you know, isn't there, you know, somebody of your own people? And of course, you know, the Bible tells us that God was seeking an occasion against the Philistines. But he had to create enough, he had to create some tension there. And so, so of course, Samson has this, um, and I, I don't really know enough about their culture, I guess, to understand this whole wedding party thing because it lasts for like a week. And he's got like these 30, like, groomsmen or whatever that are Philistines that he doesn't even know them, right. apparently. And then all this, you know, they, they plowed with his heifer, which, boy, he thought highly of her. Um, but then it says that he, he goes back home, apparently without her, because then he comes back later, or because it tells you that he her, her father gave her to someone else. And then he came back to get her, and he's like, oh, I thought you didn't want her. I gave her to somebody else. And so, of course, you know, now Samson's mad. Uh, and so, obviously, things don't work out there with her. Um, and then, of course, um, uh, he goes to one of the cities of the Philistines, and he finds a harlot. So, again, he's still stuck in this this thing where he can't leave this thing alone. And, and that's when he they try and lock him in, and he takes the gates with him. And then he meets Delilah, and he knows that Delilah is playing with him. You know, I mean, any idiot could tell that it's like, you know, well, tell me, you know, what what could make you so, you know, what would take away your power? And then she does it. She's like, the Philistines are on you. You know, any any doofus could tell. But but he thought that he was untouchable. He thought that he was invincible. And then he really did tell her. And I don't know what he was expecting when she said when they shaved his head in his sleep and he and he got up and thought, Oh well this is gonna work just like all the other times because he you'd think he would have been thinking, Well, dang it, I told her the the actual thing this time. I don't know if maybe he thought that he was untouchable. Maybe he thought that it wouldn't that it wouldn't matter. And I'm sure he didn't well it says that he didn't know that God had departed from him. And and I can't imagine why he how he could have not known because everything he told her would take away his strength she did to him. And they were all lies. And then when he gave her the actual answer, the actual secret, you would think he would have been expecting it. You would think. And so, you know, he has lots of ups and downs as you read through his life. He had lots of really great victories. You know, he killed a thousand men with a jawbone of an ass. That's pretty, pretty B.A. I mean, uh, <laughs> you know, and, and I, you got to wonder what this guy looked like, you know, because I can't imagine that he was really like, looked like Arnold, you know, I mean, he, because, it, you know, every like kid's Bible and stuff, he like, I don't know, my kids have this Bible where he's got like these big, long black dreadlocks and, and, uh, you know, it's like biceps on his biceps and and uh, and all that kind of thing. Uh, I can't imagine that he was he looked that awesome, but maybe he did. I don't know. Um, you know, and he came to this place where where he was blind, and he was uh, he was a something for the the Philistines to laugh at. And of course, it tells you right away he ends up in the prison. And his head shaved, and he's lost his eyes. It says that his hair began to grow back, and and so he 
he came back to this place of of regaining that consecration and and he uh and of course it says that he uh had killed more philistines in his in his death than he did in his life so there must have been quite a few people in that place so so his life is this cautionary tale about valuing the call of God on your life because because this vow of the Nazarite was a uh, voluntary thing and yet he had it conferred upon him but he didn't take it seriously I, I mean I, apparently he didn't drink uh, and obviously he didn't cut his hair but he didn't really take seriously what it was about that he was consecrated to God uh, so pop over with me to First Samuel chapter one. God actually gave me this word like a few years ago, and reminded me of it um, on Friday. And so I sat down and went back through it again because we have this opportunity, you know. Because, like I said, in in 2 Corinthians 6, he says, come out from among them and be separate. So God has called us to that place. And and like I said, he has conferred that sense of consecration by virtue of his spirit dwelling inside of us. But we we have a part to play in that of our choices. And because we can't buy things from God by setting ourselves aside. Uh, for him, consecrating ourselves to him, we can't buy things from him with our fasting and prayer. You know, there, there's no heavenly gift shop that, that that has like price tags of like you know this many days of fasting, and this many hours of prayer. There, there is no such thing. And uh, but it's an imperative thing, and it's an important thing, and uh, and I, I know a lot of people. Uh, intentionally or no, see fasting as some sort of spiritual currency. When it's not that, it's it's about setting yourself aside. It's about it's about making room for more of Him in you. Um, so, um, you know, and if you've ever decided that you are going to set yourself aside for a time and and, and follow after God, you're Flesh makes this noise. Mine does. It's kind of like when you have a balloon and you pull on the top of it. It's and it's like there in the back of my mind the whole time. It's like I wanted to do what I wanted to do. It's like yeah, I'm, I, I know, I know. But um, if you ignore it long enough, it'll go away. And uh, and uh, retreat into sullen silence, and you can just you're the new man, the inner man can get along with what it's doing. But so here in First um, uh, Samuel chapter one, uh, I'll start in verse one again. There's no better place to start. There was a man, a certain man of Ramathaim Zophim of Mount Ephraim, whose name was Akana, son of Jehoram, son of Elihu, the son of Kohu, the son of Zoph, an Ephrathite. And he had two wives, and the name of one was Hannah, and the other was Peninnah. And Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. 
And this man went up out of the city yearly to worship and to sacrifice unto the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. The two sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas, priests of the Lord, were there. And when the time was that Elkanah offered, he gave to Peninnah his wife and all of her sons and her daughters portions. But to Hannah he gave a worthy portion, for he loved Hannah, but the Lord had shut up her womb. And her adversary also provoked her sore to make her fret because the Lord had shut up her womb. And as he did so year by year, the exodus of the short ones. And as he did so year by year, when she went up to the house of the Lord, so she provoked her. Therefore, she wept and did not eat. And then said Elkanah, her husband, to Hannah, or to her, Hannah, why weepest thou, and why eatest thou not? And why is thy heart grieved? Am I not better to thee than ten sons? And so Hannah rose up after they had eaten in Shiloh and after they had drunk. Now Eli the priest sat upon the seat by the post of the temple of the Lord, and she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept sore. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look upon the affliction of thine handmaid, and remember me, and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man-child, then will I give unto him, or give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come upon his head. And it came to pass as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli marked her mouth. Now Hannah, she spake in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought she had been drunken. And Eli said to her, How long will you be drunken? Put away thy wine from thee. And Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have poured out my soul before the Lord. Count not thine handmaid for a daughter of Belial, for out of the abundance of my complaint and my grief have I spoken hitherto. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and the Lord God of Israel grant thee thy petition that thou hast asked of him. And she said, Let thine handmaid find grace in thy sight. And so the woman went her way and did eat, and her countenance was no more sad. And they rose up in the morning early, worshipped before the Lord, and returned. And they came to their house at Ramah, and Elkanah knew Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And it came to pass when the time was come, about after Hannah had conceived that she bare a son, and called his name Samuel, saying, Because I have asked him of the Lord. And the, man, and the man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer unto the Lord the yearly sacrifice and his vow. But Hannah went not up, for she said to her husband, I will not go up until the child be weaned. Then will I bring him, that he may appear before the Lord, and there abide forever. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seemeth good, or to, seemeth thee good. Tarry thou till thou hast weaned him, only the Lord establish his word. And so the woman abode and gave her son suck until she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her and her three bullocks and one ephah of flour and a bottle of wine and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh. And the child was young. And they slew a bullock and brought the child to Eli. And she said, O oh, my Lord, as thy soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman that stood by thee here praying unto the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has given me my portion which I asked of him. Therefore also I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he should be lent to the Lord. And he worshipped, he worshipped the Lord there. So again, uh, I won't belabor the point of, of, the, of how difficult this whole thing is emotionally for Hannah. It's quite the roller coaster and we've, we've been over that a lot. But she, uh, she, has, she dedicated him 
to God, consecrated him to God before he was even conceived. Mm-hmm. And uh, and she said that there would be no razor come upon his head. And so again, we have this sense of this Nazarite vow, and uh, and it being conferred on him. And the interesting difference here is this is really not that that far along after Samson. And um, and Samuel grew up in the temple with this priest that clearly was not good at uh, uh, raising up uh, boys to know better, and yet he showed this he he followed God and he was consecrated to God and God called him and talked to him and the you know the difference between Samson's life and Samuel's life is really interesting because I mean they I mean obviously Samson went out in victory that's great but he uh, went through some pretty low places along the way you know, and Samuel, um, he was the last of the, the the prophets that judged Israel before there was a king, and and he he uh, of course he didn't uh, you know he was unhappy about the whole thing, and and uh, but this is the prophet that he came to this village and they said, "Comest thou peaceably?" And so if I don't know. You ever, uh, you know, you get the you get that phone call, or you get somebody, the, you know, hey, can I talk to you? And you're thinking, come with now peaceably. Nope. No, Yeah, Ron called me the other day, and I was like, come with now peaceably. No. no, I was teasing, but um, no, uh, but so Samuel's life was entirely different. He started out with the same, uh, the same starting place that that Samson did. I mean, at, at the very least, um, Samson's parents were on board with raising him like an Azurite. They they asked the angel, it's "Like, so talk to me about this. How are we going to do this? What you know? Tell us what to do." And and Samuel, of course, is raised by this priest, but. Not a real great one, apparently. Um, but yet, he he saw the price that his mother paid for this consecration, and he un, and and by extension the price that he paid for it. Because I'm sure she talked to him about you know I I know I'm and I, I can only imagine what it must be like trying to explain this to a three year old and then come back and talk to him about it next year and talk to him about it next year. Like I, I know you, that you don't want to stay here with Eli. I know you want to come home with me, and, and I wish you could. But I told God that if He would give me a child, then I would give Him back. And so I can't take you home with me as much as I would like to. I have to leave you here with Him. And and so not only did this thing cost Hannah dearly it cost Samuel dearly you know i mean imagine and it's it's hard for me to imagine a little boy growing up with a 
uh, an old guy like that, that that had done such a dreadful job raising his own sons. Maybe he learned from it, but probably not. Um, so the thing is, is we too, when we get born again, have this consecration conferred on us, and and it also came at a really dreadful price, and and so. The, the price that Jesus paid for our salvation, for our sanctification, for our consecration um, is, is certainly worse than, than what it cost Hannah. Certainly worse than what it cost Samuel. And what we want to do is take that seriously and, and, and value that opportunity that we have because as I said before, we, we're separate from the world by virtue of him living inside of us, but there is this voluntary sense of setting oneself aside with this Nazarite vow that we can live there. And that's the thing that God is, is talking about is, is you know, you, you want to seek me. You, you want to draw near to me. And your flesh will make that little balloon sound. But past that is is this this fellowship that would make you think why did i ever want to do anything else and and i can tell you that when god puts you in places where you need an answer then um, you're you're really glad that you spent your time more wisely you're glad that you spent your time on the mountain not because you were buying some kind of answer from God, but because you were making sure that there, that line of communication was as clear and open as possible. And and that's what fasting and prayer does. That's what getting in His Word does. And so, so that's the thing that we want to do. We we can learn from this example. I mean, Samson reminds me of the scripture where Paul said that um, talked about a, a man being saved and his work being burned. Like because certainly he he went out in victory, but imagine how much better things could have been had he had he not made the decisions that he made. You know, and um, and again, I know that you know God was he worked all those things out, and that's what he does. But it's a great illustration for us about the choices that we make and, and what we do. Uh, so. Um, you know, and and I I can only imagine, you know, Samuel, you know, growing up and and hearing from God and seeing the way that Samuel or that Eli's sons behaved, and uh, and and that word that that God gave gave him to to give to Eli about it, um, again had to be a really costly thing for him because. I'm sure he didn't want to tell Eli what God said that night when he talked to him in the temple. But he also feared God, and he understood that God was a serious God. And when when the priest tells him, you know, God do more, you know, do more to you if you don't tell me. Um, he said, Well, okay then, you asked for it, you know, and. To me, that story is so mystifying because Eli just takes it calmly apparently he's like well that's god okay 
Like you would think that he would. It's like I'm gonna go pray. <laughs> you know, you'd think he would be in in the temple praying like Hannah was praying that night, wanting trying to get this thing straightened out. But, um, you know, but nonetheless, so we have this this opportunity then to set ourselves aside, just like just like uh, Samuel did, you know, just like. Um, any of these people who had taken this vow did. And um, I don't know about you, but when I go too long without a haircut, I start kind of like avoiding the mirror. So I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> you know. And so, you know, it will tell. People will see it on you that, that you have set yourself aside. But it's, but it's, a, it's a grand thing. And, uh, um, and people will recognize that there's something different in you that, that's a good thing. That's not like, wow, you need a haircut. So, so that's a blessing. Jesus, we just thank you for your word to us and your faithfulness. And God, we, we pray that you would um, put in us that sense of, of reverence, God, and, and value for this consecration that you have conferred upon us. And God, that, that we would take seriously the opportunity to set our own selves aside, to set our own lives aside, our own desires aside, and to uh, put your kingdom first, God. And you, you've told us that when we do that, everything else uh, falls into place, God. They, uh, you said that when we delighted ourselves in you, you'd give us the desires of our heart. God, and those those desires that uh, are not profitable, God, you you typically just move them out of the way as we put you first. And God, so what we want today is is for every fear and every misgiving and every every voice that would tell us that that this is not going to work out good for us as we to to put our own desires aside and draw near to you. And we want those things out of the way, Lord. And we we want our our trust and our confidence to be holy in you. And we pray it in your righteous name. God, do exactly what you want to do in this place today. God, our, our our trust is in you, uh, in your ability to do the things that you do. God, that's why we've come here today is to receive something from you. God, we just pray that you would get those things done in us as only you can. In the name of Jesus, we pray.